happy, happy, happy holidays, happy Sabbath. It is Christmas Eve, and we are excited because we are having a wonderful Sabbath planned for you today, and we're also having the privilege of Christmas tomorrow. Um, today is a really interesting lesson because we're talking about the judgment, and in the spirit of the season, I will tell you this. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. The lesson is coming, so let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for your Christmas. Thank you for your love. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the promise of heaven. But above all, today, on this particular day, we want to thank you for your birth, for incarnation. And we pray, Lord, that uh, the miracle of Christmas remain with us for the rest of the year. For we pray in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen. Joey, Christmas is here. What are you doing? Do you have any special holiday traditions? Yeah, you know, actually, from when our kids were younger, we wanted to have intentional Christmas traditions. So we have a few that we we do. We open one present on Christmas Eve. We tell the Christmas story on Christmas morning. We um, we have pajama photos that we do. Like, there's different mm. traditions. How about you? Do you have Christmas traditions? Um, we do. So... My family, uh, my family, so us four, um, we are Christmas morning people, mm. which means we do everything Christmas morning. My wife grew up, and she's a Christmas, her family's Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, we have this big, big, big dinner, uh, presents, the whole family, and then uh, Christmas morning is, is a much more intimate thing. Mm. Uh, we used to go skiing. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what we'll do tomorrow. Um I am looking forward to some pancakes, though. Pancakes is pancakes and Christmas go together like uh, like Christmas carols and Christmas. Kind of sad because after tomorrow there are no more carols, but um, we're going to enjoy Christmas music still for another 24 hours. Christmas pancakes. We've never done pancakes for Christmas. We Maybe we should try that. So we need to try Christmas <laughs> pancakes. Wow, that's awesome. Do you have any special toppings that you put them on, on them, or are they just pancakes? Nutella. I'm a Nutella guy. Uh, you got to love Nutella. Nutella, banana, and whipped cream. Yeah. That's 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 Christmas in, in the Mendes household. Yeah, hazelnut and chocolate. Can't beat those. Yeah. Unless you have Nutella. <laughs> Joey, we're talking about a really interesting topic mm. as it pertains to Christmas. Uh, because we're talking about the judgment. And I don't know how those two interplay with each other. But we're going to give it a go for the next 50 minutes here. And so thank you. Buckle up your seats. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Merry Christmas. Uh, Joey, what do we do with this judgment in, on Christmas Eve? You know, I... I... I actually like the way that you framed it. There is a, there is a sense that Santa Claus, the, the, the tradition of Santa Claus, I don't know if it's an American tradition or a global tradition, but the tradition of Santa Claus is that there is judgment that happens, right? Mm. He, like you said, he, he checks his list, you know, makes checks it twice to find out who's naughty or nice. That's judgment, right? And, and apparently only the nice kids get Christmas presents and the naughty kids 
I think it, they, they get coal mm -hmm, in their stocking, a lump of coal <laughs> in their stocking. So, so there is there is an element of judgment that that goes into into um, Santa Claus, and and there's also something that the that the lesson brings out from the very beginning. This idea that judgment is not just retribution, mm -hmm. it's not just condemnation, but it's also good news for people. Who pass the judgment? So right. if you're in the nice category, then Christmas is a great day. Mm -hmm. If you're in the naughty category, well, Christmas is not as fun. Not right? as fun. But I think I think the other thing that the lesson does, and and I think we've talked about this a lot, so we won't belabor the point, is that ultimately judgment isn't contingent on us. And I think that's the one difference with mm. the Christmas story, yeah. right? Because when it comes to the Christmas story, I do have, or the Christmas tradition, like you were, like you were talking about, I do have quite a bit of leverage as to what kind of behavior I I, I have during the year that is going to ensure that I'm on the nice list. But really, the judgment uh, with a God of grace is probably more akin to kind of how we act with our kids, which is, I don't remember the last, I went to the store this week, I don't remember the last time I saw a parent picking up a lump, a lump of coal to put in a stocking. So uh, as the Bible says, if we give good gifts to our, if we parents give good gifts to our ch children, how much more um, the Father in heaven will give to us. But I do think that uh, mm. Scripture talks about judgment. And so mm. we cannot simply sidestep that issue. I think judgment is ultimately necessary um, if you have a God who stands on the side of those who are being hurt. Um, I do think, though, that we've often linked judgment with people. Mm. And so what I think... Uh, a better place that I find myself now as uh, as I get older and, and a bit more mature is that throughout Scripture, what is, what is being judged aren't people. What is being judged is a particular way of life, a particular mm. series of actions, a particular uh, worldview, uh, to borrow a term from last week's lesson. That's ultimately what's being judged. Mm. In the book of Revelation, if we jump all the way to the end of the story where judgment materialized, what is sent, what is cast into the lake of fire are these, these symbols, right? Uh, the beast and the false prophet. It's these symbols that represent an alternative view of reality. And so what is being judged really is um, this alternative view of reality that is exploitative. And God has to say something against that, lest God be complicit in that. Well, that's true. I mean, anybody who's been a parent before or if you've been a boss before, if you don't address bad behaviors, mm -hmm. if you don't address an unhealthy way, an unhealthy culture, an unhealthy way of living, then it's just going to perpetuate. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to address these things. Otherwise, you're giving permission for those things to continue. Mm -hmm. And what you seem to be saying is judgment is God's way of saying this and no further. Mm -hmm. This this I love you, but I can't condone this way of living. Right. And so there is, I think, a it is necessary, just like a boss would or a parent does, um, it is necessary to separate the person from the behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, God loves the person. God is desperate uh, to redeem and to call all people to him. But if God doesn't stop 
and doesn't intercede and interject and doesn't step into history and stop certain behaviors, then abuse and hurt and pain continue. And a God that is just cannot allow those things to go further. Yeah, that's true. And if you've ever been on the other side of that and and had a, a boss or a parent or a teacher who was overly permissive, mm-hmm. right? Who didn't address these these types of situations, it's a struggle, right, for you um, because you want someone to be able to speak up and say, no, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. This cannot continue. The other side that I, I see you bringing out is it's hard for us to often in those scenarios to take the person out of the, the behavior. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's us who are being addressed or if it's us addressing other people, we have a tendency as humans to personalize mm-hmm. things, to personalize the situation. So not just talking about a bad behavior, but saying that they are bad people, mm-hmm. right? And that's when we get into a trouble space when either we're receiving feedback and then we think, oh, that means because they're saying this about me, that means that I'm a bad person or they think that I'm yeah. a bad person. When that's not the issue at all. The issue is is more about the behavior and about a, a way of seeing things than it is about the identity of the person themselves. And that is why I think we need to be, we need to tread very carefully when we step into talking about judgment. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we make or we can we might construct a belief system and we might develop a faith system on judgment when judgment isn't really the purview of human beings Mm. because human beings like you're mentioning don't have the capacity Mm. to separate you it's it's very difficult for us to not uh confabulate the person and the behavior Mm. and because we are terrible at doing that because we are terrible at exercising just judgment rather than judge than becoming judgmental we mm. we typically stray we typically stray into judgmentalism judgment needs to be god's uh soul purview mm. and so that is uh, i think a place in which probably the most faithful thing that we can do is we can say judgment is the lord's and we trust that the lord will judge justly and mercifully and faithfully and that god is is going to be a much 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 better judge than we could ever be Mm. so it seems like what you're saying is that we shouldn't try to guess at what god's going to do at the end of time Mm, and how what criteria or how he's going to do these things we shouldn't try to guess that um to say well i'm pretty sure this person's out and this person's in because it seems like there's going to be some surprises Mm -hmm. i mean even in Jesus's parable, the one that they describe here with the sheep and the goats, there are people, there are groups of people who are both followers of Jesus, who who both um, did some amazing things, right? They cast out demons in your name and all of that, who Jesus says, no, you're not in the kingdom mm-hmm. to them. And then to others, he says in this parable mm-hmm. that you are and they're surprised. So there's yeah. going to be, there does seem to be a, an element of surprise that's going to come with the end time judgment um yeah so (laughs) let's talk about that uh but before we get into matthew 25 i want to just briefly 
remind why we have to tread so carefully. So Jesus has this thing, right, about a splinter in the eye of your neighbor and a log in your eye. Um, it's very, very easy to be to try and become ultimately become what uh, arbiters of what is right and what is wrong. Mm. And that's when we get into trouble spaces. Yeah. The ultimate problem with Eve and with Adam wasn't that uh, they wanted to be like God. That's actually a worthy aspiration. Yeah. Uh, trying to be by by you know um, by replicating God's behavior towards human beings, I think we extend grace and love mm -hmm. and compassion. Mm -hmm. The problem is when we try to be ultimate arbiters of what is good and what is evil, mm -hmm. because we don't have that capacity. And so again, that is. I think a really, really, a really good place to start is simply at the outset by recognizing our limitations. Mm -hmm. Now, Matthew 25. Mm. I said this to uh, a group of people that asked me a question a few weeks ago when we were talking about this idea of hell, if you remember. Um, and uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus was being used. And one of the things we said was, you don't build theology on parables. Mm. You, you exercise principles out of parables. Yeah. And so I want you all watching uh, to resist the temptation to try and build a theology on judgment based on a parable mm -hmm. because then we wouldn't be we wouldn't be being consistent mm -hmm. with something that we've that we've advocated and we here in our conversations Joey strive for consistency mm -hmm. so we're not going to build a theology on judgment based on the parable we are going to do with the same thing that we did uh with uh the Luke parable which is try to extract uh, some principles mm -hmm. so uh, Matthew 25, we're going to go through 31 through 46. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Mm. Then... That whole interlude, 31 through 33, Joey, it's not so that you and your mind can get a theology of what the end time judgment's going to be like. Mm. Again, we're trying to be consistent. It's not like Jesus is going to come, sit on a throne and say, okay, Joey O to the right, Miguel Mendes to the left. Mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, we need to, again, we need to be consistent. The primary principle that the, par that the parable is trying to address begins in 34. 34 is, uh, verse 34 is where you're going to extract your principle. Mm -hmm. Then, and that's, that's if, uh, if you remember your, uh, your biblical Greek, first year biblical Greek, that construction, the then, is really, really important because it's kind of like, it, in the original language, it punctuates. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, mm -hmm. take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and gave you something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Mm -hmm. So is the parable really about the judgment? Or is the parable about how 
uh, sheep are supposed to behave. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. That it seems like the identity of the people of God is um, part of that identity is our care that we show mm -hmm. for others, right? Mm -hmm. The love and the care that we show for others. And again, building on our conversation from the previous week, that is a meta narrative of right. scripture, right? Right. That is a part of that that overarching arcing um, theme of scripture of love for others, mm -hmm. especially those who are in need, especially those who are um, who may not have the same resources that we have, mm. right? Care for the widows, for the for the um, orphans, for for the foreigners, those who are on the outskirts of society, that we should reach out and care for them. So, so what I hear you saying is that um, maybe it's not going to work out this way. Maybe it's not going to be. I mean, it's it's we don't know exactly how things are going to play out. We we may not even the scripture is not necessarily even about who's in the kingdom of heaven or who's out of the kingdom of heaven. It really has to do with if you want to be identified with me, this is how Correct. you live. And again, we do that because we have to be consistent. Mm -hmm. Now some people will say, some people even within our own faith tradition will say no to the story of the rich man and Lazarus. That's that's an that's allegorical. But then we'll take Matthew 25 and say, no, no, this is literal. This is how it's going to be. And then you have to answer how the parable ends. Mm. He will reply, uh, they, um, he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Mm. And you're like, uh, well, and, and then we start doing this, this these theological gymnastics, right? Well, he doesn't mean eternal in the way we in the way we believe eternal. He means eternal until it is consumed and such and such and such. But we got into this problem because we're not being consistent. Mm. This is not if if we're gonna take parables as giving us principles, and the question isn't what is the parable how the parable's not trying to paint a picture, the parable's trying to describe a principle. And I think you've you've kind of started teasing out what the principle is. How do sheep behave? How do followers of Christ live their lives? And they live their lives in some pretty uh pretty interesting ways, don't they? Yeah. It is interesting though that um that the identity of the sheep though in this this passage and this is something that the that the lesson seems to allude to too that the identity of the sheep in this passage is based on how they treat others, mm -hmm. right? How they how they love or they don't love others, mm -hmm. right? And yet, isn't our identity based on whether we accept Jesus's forgiveness for our lives? Mm. It isn't that when we're adopted mm -hmm. into the family of God, isn't God's grace what grants us entrance mm -hmm. into his following? So then how do we reconcile those two? And I think that's that's some of what the lesson tries to do as well, is to talk about how do you reconcile the idea that, yes, we enter the, enter the family of God by grace and by the forgiveness of God. But there is, is an element um, in, found in Scripture that we that how we behave matters. It actually matters. And those who follow Christ do at least seek to behave in a certain manner. Yeah. So how do we reconcile those two ideas? I think I think the answer to that question um, resides in our uh, ability to understand 
how Jesus is playing with time. Mm. Um, and it's a wonderful, we call this, uh, we call these the eschatological man, uh, parad- uh, parables. Mm. And the reason why is because we've typically said, well, Jesus is talking about the future. Mm. Now, the whole conversation starts, or this whole section starts with a, a rather uh, interesting debate, right? Uh, the disciples are looking at the temple, and Jesus says, hey, by, by the way, this is all going to be destroyed. Mm. And for the disciples, that was a moment, a cataclysmic event. In Jewish eschatology, right, Joey, when the temple was destroyed, that was the end of the age. Mm. And so they're saying, when will these things happen? Mm. And it's a temporal question, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a question that is oriented towards time. Yeah. And Jesus answers this temporal question not by pushing them to look into the future, mm-hmm. but, but, but by forcing them to grapple in the, with the present. Mm. I think that goes yeah, really, really a far, long and far in helping us explain kind of that dichotomy that you're mentioning. Mm. If you understand judgment as a future-oriented event, mm. then you cannot say that your behavior matters as it pertains to how you will be judged, mm. right? Because grace is is the ultimate equalizer. Mm. So I believe that as it pertains to judgment, eschatologically, mm. the answer is grace. But Jesus isn't talking about judgment eschatologically in these parables, is he? Mm. He's talking about judgment presently. Mm-hmm. And so judgment isn't just something that we wait for. Mm. Judgment is something that is occurring at the present time. Mm. And it is in this present iteration of the judgment that behavior matters. Mm. Judgment in the future, God's got that covered by grace. Judgment in the present, I've got to do something because I have the capacity to impact this world, these circumstances, this situation um, with my behavior. And I think that's what the that's what Jesus is struggling the, to show the disciples. Mm. The disciples are focused mm. with the end of times, and Jesus is saying, yeah. But what you actually have authority and power over is the here and now. And so judgment is happening today. Wow. Wow. I almost forgot that we were having a video recording right now and and that I I was just learning at the feet of Rabbi Mendez here. That was so powerful that Jesus Jesus answers their questions, the discipleship's disciples' questions about the future by bringing them back to the present, mm-hmm. right? And you see that with a previous parable, mm-hmm. right? With the, the parable of the 10 virgins, because what, what he's telling them is how you're living right now mm-hmm. um, actually matters, like being prepared now, because mm-hmm. you don't know when the end's going to mm-hmm. come. Don't be so fixated on the end and, and what's happening in the end. Focus on the here and now in that parable, and then he moves to this parable, and he does that with the parable of the talents, right? You don't know when the 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 um, the, uh, the owner is going to come back, so you prepare right now, be um, be diligent with whatever talents you have right now, and then he talks about the sheep and goats, and he says, "This is what it means to be prepared." 
This is what it means to use your talents well. Mm -hmm. Love those in need. And he's, he, he's, so you're saying that it's not so much the end time judgment that he's trying to um, focus on. He's bringing their attention back to the present and saying, don't worry about the end time judgment. I've got that. What you should be concerned about right now is what are you going to do in the meantime? Right. That's, that's, as, as always, Joey, you've taken what I've said and you've distilled it in a way that is easy to, to understand and actually stays with people. Um, Jesus is forcing them to live in the, few, in the present because the present really is all that we have control yeah. over. Think about the, the parable of the virgins, right? Uh -huh. They both fell asleep. Both groups fell asleep. Both groups failed. The difference is the ones that were prepared were prepared because they didn't know when, when the bridegroom was coming. The mm -hmm. ones that thought they knew the date and were fixated on the future, they missed the boat. And when you're fixated on the future, what that creates is it creates a, a theology that promotes fear. Mm -hmm. What the problem with the uh, the steward that is unfaithful is that he's afraid. Mm -hmm. And he's afraid because he doesn't understand who his master is. Mm -hmm. How do you counteract the fear? Well, you leave the future in God's hands. You say, I don't know about the future, but I do know about today. And today I am going to invest myself in feeding the hungry, uh, clothing the naked, visiting those who are in prison, because this is something palpable I can do today. Mm. Judgment and it it's it kind of tracks right with Jesus's with Jesus's earthly ministry. Mm. Today salvation has come to this house. Yeah. House today, isn't that just another way of saying today judgment has come to this house? Mm. You have been measured in, on the scales, and you have been found wanting, or mm. you have been found uh, to be, to pass because this is what we get. We get today. Yeah, this idea of ongoing judgment. But not judgment as in, um, are you in and out of heaven ultimately? But are you living as a mm. part of the family of wow. God? Wow. So what if then the judgment? Ooh, that's a that's a different, that's a different paradigm completely completely that you've proposed. But it's a paradigm that is in line with Scripture. Mm. What if judgment then isn't something that happens at the end in order to determine where you stand? Mm. What if judgment is something that is happening now because we're you're not in and out of heaven you're in and out of the family of God. Wow. That mean, you you're saying wow but that's your that's your <laughs> paradigm. I don't know if that's exactly what I was saying but that was powerful actually. <laughs> wow, yeah, are you because and and this is this is not to say that we have to be unsure about our standing with God. Like Correct. if you're behaving this way, then you're all of a sudden God doesn't accept you. Because God, I mean, it's clear throughout scripture that God wants us in his family, right. that we are adopted into his family, that even when we mess up, we're a part of the family. So that it's it's not so much that, it's it's are we living up to the family name, mm -hmm. right? Are we living up to um to what God are we a part of God's plan for our lives, a, a part of the amazing things he's doing in this world. Are we, are we doing that? Mm. And it's not as, again, it doesn't have to do with ultimately whether we're going to be in heaven or not. It doesn't, it, that, that seems to be what's clear from what, how you've, how you've clarified these parables to us, because again, Jesus 
is not despite the fact that they're eschatological parables that that talk about the end times they're not really about the end times mm-hmm. they're about the present mm-hmm. right so so it's not ultimately about whether we're going to get into heaven or not um although you understand why the disciples were obsessed with that and why we're always mm-hmm. obsessed with that it's really about are we living up to the name that that Jesus has called us to live up to? I like that new paradigm that you're proposing. I even like your way of dis- defining it and describing it uh, much better than than what I tried to do a minute ago. And that is when you said, "Are we?" It's not that we're in and or out of God's family. It's that we're living. It's that we're living up to or not living up to the family name, mm-hmm. because ultimately. Perception is reality. Mm. So I, I, this this other parable, probably the most famous parable of them all comes to mind, right? You have Luke tell the story about a father and two sons. Mm. And the youngest son says, Father, give me my piece of the inheritance. Mm. Now, I am sure that when this young son is walking out of his father's house, everybody recognizes him as the son. Mm. That that idea that he is his father's son is not debatable. Mm. He carries wow. his his last name, and it's visible to evi- to everyone. <sighs> Do you think anyone would have believed this guy if if you would have seen him several years later as he's tr- as he's tempted to eat the food that has been given to the pigs and covered in filth? Do you think anyone would have believed that he is his father's son, that he carries his family's name? Do you think now his status in the eyes of the father hadn't changed, mm. but, but his reality had? Mm. Nobody is going to perceive wow. this man as wow. being part of his father's family because he has fallen so, because his behavior has been so completely opposite what his father had intended for him, that even if his father seems to view him in the same way his reality is completely different from that yeah like who would believe that the son of a rich wealthy landowner Mm. would be sleeping and living and eating the food of pigs Mm -hmm. right like who would who would ever which which was revolting in the minds of the jews Mm -hmm. right (laughs) pigs were like unclean Mm -hmm. animals to not only be taking care of them but to eat, be eating the pig's slop mm-hmm. would have been unimaginable. Like nobody, this this guy, much not less the son of this wealthy Jewish landowner, he can't even be a Jew. How could he, you even imagine that he was a Jew mm. if he's doing that, right? Like how fall, far has he fallen? And yet, I love this element that you brought out. And yet, at no point did he stop being, in actuality, mm-hmm. the father's son. Mm-hmm. Like the father, there's no, at no point did the, does the father disown him. Right. right. Despite all the terrible things he does, the father continues to look for him. He continues to love him because he's still his son. That's, that's, that's what's I think beautiful about divine judgment, that yeah. it's, God is relentless. The problem is the son mm. doesn't have the capacity to mm. see himself as his father's son anymore. Wow. 
uh, it takes God's it takes the father's judgment upon him in the end of, at the end of the story for the for the son to regain the notion of who he truly is. Mm-hmm. Remember the story says, and he came to his right mind. He's mm-hmm. about to eat the slop of the pig, uh-huh. and he comes to his right mind, and then he says. There are many servants in my father's house who eat better. Come. Uh, (laughs) And and so he, it's not that he hasn't stopped being his father's son, but he has stopped seeing himself as his father's son. Yeah. He sees himself as something different. His last name, he, this, this, this. A prodigal son might have been Peter Rockefeller, but now he's only Pete, and he can only visualize himself as Pete, because that's that's all that his understanding mm. of grace and judgment allow for. And so he comes back with this prepared speech, I, I guess it would be, Father, let me be, I, I can no longer be your son, let me be one of your servants. <laughs> and the father says... What are you talking about? You're you've always been my son. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's divine judgment upon upon those who who are willing enough to recognize mm-hmm. their um their state. But that happens in the future. In the present, this as he is sitting there about to eat the slop, mm-hmm. a change of behavior is needed. Mm-hmm. Right? He needs to come it back to his right mind. He needs to say, Hey, I need to get up and go and swallow my pride and stand before my father and recognize that my behavior has consequence. And yeah. it is only when he does that, that he is surprised by the opulence of grace. Wow. And so again, I think in that parable, you have the same kind of the same, di- the same dynamic. There is this present thing that is occurring. And then there's an opulence of grace at the end. Wow. Wow. Yes, it's so true. Like, he needs to get it in his mind that he actually because like you said it's it's almost comical like he comes back with the intention of trying to convince his dad to accept him as a servant Mm -hmm. not realizing that in his father's eyes he's never stopped being his son right and so he it's a change in behavior it's a change in mindset Mm -hmm. that he needs to have to realize how the father actually sees Mm -hmm. him and really, if you think about it, the second son is exactly the same exactly way. Exactly the same. Yeah, because he doesn't realize he's his father's son either. Right. Which, which is kind of mind-blowing because he's still there. Right. But he he works and sees himself as a hired hand, uh-huh. which is why he says to his father, when did you kill the uh-huh. fatted calf for me? And he, the father's like, what are you talking right. about? You're my son. Everything I have is you yours. You could have done it any time. Yeah, why, do you, why are you behaving like a hired Hand. And yet that's exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Even though he's never left his father's home, he still sees himself as a servant and not a son. And I, again, I think behavior then only allows us to determine how comfortable our servanthood is going to be. Mm. Right. So, yes, they both get it wrong. They both misunderstand God's ultimate judgment, the opulence of grace. Mm. But I'd rather be the older son any day of the week. I'd rather live and be and experience life, right, in the lap of my father's house than in the slop with the pigs. Mm. So I think your behavior only gets you to a certain point. It gets you to determine what kind of servant are you going to be, servant in the father's house or servant in the slop. Mm. But it's only, so that's where behavior, that's that's the role that behavior plays. Yeah. 
But it's only the Father that can give you that opulence of grace that changes you from a servant to a son. Mm. That we can't, that we cannot do, hard as we try, good as we may be, uh, as many uh, homeless as we try to, to provide shelter for mm. and hungry as we try to feed, that cannot change us from servanthood to sonship. Mm. The only thing that can change us is the Father. Wow, the opulence of the Father's grace. I love how you wrote, you said that because it's true. You're pointing out that behavior matters in that it does affect our lives, of right? Course. Like all the things that God calls us to do, he calls us to do it because he knows it's good for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like eating healthy and um, resting, the rhythm of rest and work that we talked about, not lying, not stealing not i mean these are things that help us in our lives mm -hmm. like if we're constantly lying and stealing and cheating and doing all of these things it's going to break our relationships mm -hmm. with others our time on this earth is going to be miserable mm -hmm. because we have we we're living in a way that's contrary to the principles that run throughout the universe because right. they run throughout god right so he's saying that there are real benefits but that just following those laws alone aren't enough to switch us from servanthood to sonship. I love how you said that too, because that only comes from God's grace and that we can only receive the grace that God is off, offer, uh, offering if we have a change in mindset mm -hmm. ourselves. That's true. Instead of, instead of trying to earn our way, because both of them tried, mm. right? The older son tried to earn his way by being a good son. The younger son tries to earn his way by trying to convince his father that he's, he's worth giving this second chance mm. to. And for the father, he says to both of them, don't you realize, even before you wanted it, I was offering it to wow. you. You've never stopped being my son. Wow. Wow. The opulence of the Father's grace. And I think that, doesn't that make you then approach, well, it makes you, I think, have a completely different approach to judgment, both present and mm. the judgment that is to come. Um, God declare, God has uh, proclaimed us as redeemed. God has purchased. We talked last week, right, about a passage in Corinthians. Don't you know that you have been purchased for a price? God has declared you already. He has placed the robe on you and has uh, placed a signet ring on your finger. The real tragedy, I think, is that we still, with that, with that purple robe and that signet ring, want to play in the slop. Mm. And it, it makes no sense. Um, and that's I think that's the great tragedy mm. that um, judgment ultimately isn't um, God's meeting out punishment. Judgment is end time judgment now is God's ultimate act of disclosing or uncovering the foolishness the irrationality, how ludicrous it is that you are dressed in a robe and with a signet ring in your hand mm. and want to eat the slop of the pigs. Yeah, that imagery is comical, mm -hmm. right? Like imagine being dressed, I guess the male equivalent is you're in like uh, Prada tuxedo mm -hmm. or something. I, yeah. I don't know. And and you're, you're all dressed to go to this this banquet. And instead, you you decide to roll around with pigs in the mud. Like, why? And why there's a table. There's a table right next to you with like a seven course meal yeah. that is laid out. 
and you're gonna choose to eat slop and roll with pigs and that is it's comical it's irrational it's truly tragic mm. and so i think yeah i think that's that's the thing that we guard that that we call one another to guard against mm. um because too often we want to believe that ultimately we are in control mm -hmm. um and i think this 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 parable that jesus is telling in matthew 25 is also about control um lord um yeah there's this there's this wonderful answer question that the that the righteous answered lord when did we see you hungry mm. and the king uh the king replies truly i tell you whatever you did for one of these the least of my brothers and sisters you did you did to me mm. then first and this is a tragic part then he will say to those on his left depart from me you are a curse into the eternal fire remember we're we're trying to conjure up principles not pictures for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and you did not visit me. Hmm. And they are going to say, well, when did we see that happening? And God is saying, man, the problem here with, with these people is that they're rolling in the mud because they don't understand grace. Mm. See, when I've experienced, and there's, right, there's that other wonderful paradigm, where go, the wonderful parable where Jesus is trying to illustrate this very point and says, look, there's two people, they owe a bunch of money. Mm. One, right, is forgiven this enormous, incredible amount mm. that it would have taken his whole lifetime and the lifetime of his children, his children's children to repay. And then somebody owed him 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. And the person was forgiven this enormous amount, but he didn't understand grace. Mm. And his inability to understand grace wow. was then lived out in his relationship with other people. And that's, I think, the real tragedy in the parable in Matthew 25. Mm. And that's the, the tragedy yeah. in the parable of the, of the prodigal son. Our inability to understand how much grace has been exacted upon us then causes us uh, and is lived out in our behaviors towards other people. Yeah. And even, even how God goes about, well, how we think God will go about the end time judgment shows how much, how, how God sees us. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact, you know, we talk about this millennial judgment where um, in Revelation it uses the imagery of um, the righteous being on thrones and we interpret that as being that we're given the opportunity to judge, right? We're given the opportunity to judge and have our questions an answered about what, why God made the choices mm -hmm. he, he made and ultimately we'll come up to the decision, wow, God, you did everything mm -hmm. right, right? I mean, I love the fact that we're going to finally have some questions answers because I have some questions, right. right? I do definitely have questions. But what I take most out of that, that if that's the way that it ultimately plays out, what I take the most out of that is the tremendous, well, humility, but also trust that God puts in us, that he would put, I mean, that, if anything, shows that he sees us as his children, mm -hmm. right? That he would allow us to judge his actions 
and his decisions and to, and and to to really open the book to us mm-hmm. right sometimes i'm not even willing to let my kids do that right mm-hmm. because they'll ask me like dad why are you doing this and i'll say well we're doing it because i said so mm-hmm. right and that's pretty much me shutting the door and saying i don't want to open my books and my whole thought process god is saying to you humans who mess this whole universe up mess things up royally i see you as my children so much that eventually i'm going to even open up my whole thought process to you mm. and let you see why I made the choices that I did. That's that's just mind-blowing mm. to me. And that's, I think, why when it comes to the judgment, whether it's present or whether it's future-oriented, I'm not afraid. Because in the end, whatever decisions God makes, mm. I don't know what those are going to be. I'm pretty sure they're going to tilt towards grace even beyond my wildest dreams Mm. because that's who god is but i'll tell you this much i am going to be and i and a friend you that are watching on this beautiful christmas eve as you really celebrate the the limitless grace that god has at giving us incarnation and the gift of christ Mm. just think about that for a moment Uh, as it pertains to grace. But at the end of human history, whatever God decides, I'm going to be okay with it. And Mm -hmm. not not only am I going to be okay with it begrudgingly, I am going to be a full participant Mm -hmm. in in that decision-making process. And I'm going to say, yep, I'm I'm happy with the decisions that are made regardless of what those decisions are. Yeah. And so if I were to tell, if I were to tell my kids, hey, at the end of this process, guys, We don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know where you'll be, Mm. but I guarantee you, you'll be happy. I think my kids would would say, okay, we're we're okay with that. I think that's what God is telling, is telling us throughout scripture as it pertains to the judgment. Look, trust, trust in grace enough Mm. and trust in me enough. And then believe, believe that at the end of the process, you will be okay with whatever decisions uh, are fleshed out by this process. Wow. So it goes down to, and that's, I think that's where we have our difficulty, right? Because honestly, we don't always trust mm, God. Enough, yeah, that's right? true. Which is why we want the peak. We want to know, well, God, we want to prejudge mm-hmm. what he, we think mm-hmm. he's going to be doing, right? And so we we try to peek behind, <laughs> you know, over his shoulder, like, what are you doing, God? Because there is some lack of trust there. And God, Jesus is saying, man... Haven't I earned your trust yeah. with what I've done and mm-hmm. how I've operated thus far? If you read the stories of scripture, you've, you've seen me operate in your life. Trust that I have your best intentions at heart. And at the end, things are going to work out. Yeah. All right. Well, friends, um, we hope that you've come to church and that you're watching us on your way back from church or as you're getting ready for church. But we're also not going to begrudge if you're today in your pajamas Uh, drinking some hot cocoa and watching us from home, snuggled up with your family. I'm sure that as we celebrate Christmas, there are people near and dear to you. If you happen to be one of those for whom this season is blue and sad, know that we're in that living room with you, trying to extend our arms and embrace you. And so I just, I just, as, as Joey was talking, I was just, I was just moved by this enormous joy um, and this enormous peace at the reality of God's opulent grace. 
And so just take a moment to consider how lucky we are to call the King of Kings, the Lord of Lord, our Father. Amen. Amen. Joey, shall we pray? Because I know um, we've got to get to church and then there's, there's some yummy food to eat. So Let's pray. Our good and our gracious God, we, the circumstances we live in right now aren't always great. There's moments of joy. There's moments of happiness. There's moments of goodness. But there's also moments of struggle. There's moments when we, either by our own choice or by other people's choices or things that happen in our lives, we end up in the slop. And yet through it all, what you keep telling us throughout scripture is that at no point do we ever stop being your children, that you love us so deeply and so greatly. So Lord, whether this season is a time of joy, it's a time of grieving, a time of mourning for what is lost, we ask that you remind us that we are your children. And in the end, we can trust that things will work out right. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we have then nothing more to tell you except may you have a wonderful Christmas. May it be brightened by the light of that babe born in a manger. And please join us next week as we close not only this quarter, but this year. And we pray for 2023 to be blessed beyond our wildest dreams. May God richly bless you and Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm.